C'est que le quai, 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 c'est que This week, World Vines has a number of musical themes on offer. First, a quick tip of the hat tribute to the late great king of Congolese rumba, Papa Wemba. Then our final album digitalized from the archives, from Chad's multi-talented Mazdonga. And also a selection of hot new chart hits from very interesting places across the planet. All that on World Vibes with me, Pierre Tremblay, this Saturday afternoon from 1 to 3 p.m. on Radio 3. See you. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to the Beers for Bacon show with me, Jason Black. Even though it is the month of all things French, I thought we should cross the border for a bit and talk about a dish that has probably been the most successful food export ever, the pizza. So today I've got Greg Wami show sharing his tips on the perfect dough. Chef Vinnie Lauria talks toppings and mumbles on a bit about homemade mozzarella. And a new voice to our show, Rahim Mohammed of Pizza Express gives us the secrets to doing thousands of pizzas consistently every day. JC Viennes is in Casa del Bacon. Yes, that's my Italian name for our studio. He's talking wines to enjoy with pizza. And this week, I've even got him to test a gadget. Today, it's the letter K in Alphabet Soup. And I'll also be reminiscing about a book that inspired me to go baking. But all of that... After chatting to JC. For today's show, we're going to be doing pizza. And I know you've just come back from Italy and I have to take you there again, even if it's just for a chat. It's okay. You know, I have the second passport now, the Italian passport, and I'm very happy. Maria did not have to uh, break any legs or any arms, and I was very happy to apply for the passport and become an Italian citizen. Well, congratulations. Uh, yes, I think I must be the happiest Italian citizen right now, actually. Let's talk about um, wines to enjoy with pizza. Now, the thing about pizza is it's generally something that somebody has at home as a takeaway. We consider it as a fast food, but often it's not. And pizzas can be awesome when they're done properly. Do you say or do you think that pizzas should be enjoyed with a good wine or just an average wine? Actually, the magazine I write for right now, I'm an edit- as you know, I'm also an editor for a magazine. We did a special not long ago, Pizza and Champagne. And it was actually really amazing because champagne, we have discovered that actually is possibly the best match for pizza. Can you hear that sound, JC? That's the sound of Italian grandmoms rolling in their grave. What happened to if it comes from the region, you drink wine from the region? In fact, uh, the best pizza in Italy is probably from Napoli. And the wines of uh, that area are Greco di Tufo, Aglianico. Uh, these are pretty good wines for, for pizza. But I would say that uh, a good sparkling wine made in the classic method, which is the champagne method, uh, can be really fantastic. I tell you why. The bubbles. 
the bubbles they they sparkle and they 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 uh, cut through the the fattiness of the cheese and make the whole pizza become alive in your mouth and it's really wonderful to have it with uh, I would with never ever have put those two together in a million years in fact uh, you're talking about pizza but champagne is also fantastic with french fries eh? by the way it's uh, also a, a one of the best food pairing match there is in the world so we've got two fast foods that, that that taste well with one of the most exclusive of drinks in the world yes yes <laughs> at least that's what they like to think that champagne is exclusive but uh, you know a nice franciacorta from italy or there's also another method traditional method uh, sparkling wine from trento uh, called trento doc this is fantastic as well but of course when we were students uh, in canada we were drinking uh, uh, lambrusco uh, with pizza. You know Lambrusco, you mm. probably had that, is the, the fizzy red wine uh, that has quite a bit of residual sugar. And this yeah, is but also I think, quite uh, I quite think nice. as students, you're doing it because you, you're buying it on a budget as opposed to uh, sitting at home and saying, oh, well, let's find a nice wine. So, so if somebody... Yes, but let me, uh, let me in, uh, intervene and, and, and save the day here for Lambrusco because some <laughs> of them are is true plonk and they are terrible to drink but some lambruscos are actually fantastic when i was in italy uh, two or three weeks ago um, i had quite a few and i discovered that this category is really underappreciated good lambrusco well made by a good producer can be something of a beauty really one of the one of the things about pizza is that it has different toppings Yes. Um, so if you go down the route of uh, anchovies, olives, and all of those sort of things, would you steer somebody towards a different varietal, or do you think one champagne cures all? That's the beauty, in fact, maybe of champagne. The high acidity cuts through the fat of the cheese, but those savory food that you just mentioned, I think, work quite well with uh, traditional method uh, sparkling wine because they are so savory themselves. In fact, uh, they are the wines that remind me the most of the taste of umami. Here in Asia, we are more familiar with this taste, but uh, to make a long story short, umami is very closely related to savouriness, as you know. Mm. And so those uh, anchovies, those olives, etc., and even the, the salami, the, the, those uh, brezzaola, the, those, those parma ham that you put, is perfect, perfect food for a traditional method sparkling wine. Now, what we've done in the show is uh, rope chefs and test gadgets. And what I was thinking is that the chefs have had their turn. It's time to put you on the spot a little bit, being an expert. What gadgets have you found uh, over your years that work and ones that don't? Actually, you gave me a hint before I came, so I have something to rummage to my bag. Let me see if I can find it for you. Ah, it's here. Ah, voila. Can you hear that? I can hear it. Well, this is argon gas, and this little beauty is called Coravan. It's a contraption that is actually a little bit strange to look at because it has this uh, long needle, uh, but it is designed especially to insert that needle into the cork of the bottle. And then what we do is we use the uh, cartridge of argon gas, which is a neutral gas, and then we inject into the bottle, okay? And what it does is that it will um, create pressure inside the bottle. And with the same handle, we can then pour the wine into the glass. And because now there's a lot of pressure created by this inert gas, uh, the space is being replaced by uh, the argon that will not spoil the wine. And because um, this needle is especially designed not to 
tear the cork apart, and as you will remove that uh, uh, machine from uh, from the cork, the cork will close itself back to normal position. And so not only the wine will be preserved in the bottle, but the gas, the inert gas, will just take the space uh, available and the wine can be kept uh, in the cellar for another six months, one year, even two years. This is amazing, this thing. So you take that machine here and there's two clamps. We clamp the neck and we push the needle in. And after that, we obviously push the lever here so the gas is going to the bottle now we cannot hear because this bottle is full and then tilt the wine over and then suddenly the wine pour into the glass and the gas is replacing the space inside the bottle finally a gadget that does work properly well there's only one more thing that i need to do is to drink it yeah where's mine Thanks as always to JC Viennes. We'll be back next week. Now, the story of the pizza is that it was invented in Naples. It was a simple flatbread topped with tomato. Pizza purists will tell you that there are only two types of pizza, the marinara and the margarita. The marinara, the simplest of them, has tomato, oregano, salt and olive oil, while the margarita, named after Queen Margarita of Savoy, has tomato, mozzarella and basil. Apparently it was the colours that tickled her fancy as they reminded her of the Italian flag and so it goes that it was named after her. Less tickling and more like a baseball bat on the funny bone is of course the industrialised version of the pizza. No doubt our long-gone pizza purists will be spinning in their graves with the addition of pineapple and horrifyingly cheese inside the crust. What has stood the test of time, of course, is the New York style of pizza. Let's chat to Chef Vinnie Loria on the history of that pie and, of course, mozzarella. My people, the Italians, my grandparents came over from, uh, from Italy, uh, Sicily predominantly, right? The south of Italy, Napoli. Um, down there when, where some would say pizzas originated. Uh, pizza is definitely a dominant part of the culture down there. Came over from Italy to the U.S. They stopped in Ellis Island a lot, stayed in New York. My people went up to Boston. In New York, what happened was or it, when, when the Italians came over to the States, they didn't have resource like we have today. They didn't, they weren't able to import ingredients and get ingredients from you know all over the world or from Italy back to uh, the States so they had to cook with what was around them so use the local water the local flour you know they, they milled their own flour stuff like that local tomatoes made their own cheeses stuff like that right so basically what happened is they had to adapt their cuisine to the States to where they were wherever that was so in New York you had this very original texture and style of dough that kind of was created out of it you know, you're talking about talking about the, the tomatoes and the toppings and things like that, and and that you get from the states, you have a little variation on it. Um, like we'll get into that in a little bit. First of all, New, New York style pizza. New York, it's bigger, it's better, it's amazing, right? It's one of the best places in the world. So New York pizza number one is always 18 inches. It's always huge. So it's there's there's no such thing actually as a 24 inch New York style pizza. There's no such thing as 
a 12 inch New York style pizza. New York style pizza is 18 inches, hands down, that's it. I always like to, you know, when I explain it to my guys when we begin the pizza training, I always say it's about a quarter inch base, quarter inch thick base, and then you have the crust, what we call the crust, which is about one inch thick and about three quarters to an inch high, okay? Uh, you make your dough like you would any other pizza dough. Um, again, but when you use those ingredients, the ingredients from uh, from New York, you you end up with like a little bit of a different uh, formula and a, a bit of a different uh, texture and everything. So the base is crispy, but still pliable. The crust is airy and light because you still have to ferment the dough, stuff to let it rise, right? Uh, it's airy, uh, but you can press it down and it's also still pliable with a little crunch to it, okay? The tomato sauce is generally cooked tomato sauce when you're in New York, and it's a sweet basil tomato sauce. Again, you're talking about using local tomatoes. So those tomatoes you're taking and you're, uh, you're cooking down with basil, onions, garlic, you know, some use carrots, um, and olive oil, and you're having a slow-cooked tomato sauce that usually you puree, put on your pizza. And then you use a really good quality mozzarella. And again, I get some of my mozzarella that I use on our pizza here, we get from uh, Italy, and some of it we make in-house. So when we make mozzarella, the stuff we get from Italy, it's just because it's a little bit drier. You know, it, it, the, it's I could use fresh mozzarella for everything, but I, I really want to like using this slightly salted, a little bit drier, really, really, tasty, flavorful, delicious mozzarella that we get from Italy. Um, again, it's that's all natural stuff. Then, uh, for that's more for our like classic, traditional pies. Okay. Then when I do our, our like more specialty pies, are a little more like tailored to. They're still New York style. They're still big. They still use sweet uh, basil tomato sauce, uh, but we'll use fresh mozzarella. So I'll take it. I mean, we can, if you want, I can explain a little bit about the, the process of making mozzarella. Mozzarella, to me, is a, it's an art. First time I learned it was uh, from the Mozzarella King of Denver, Colorado. You didn't know there was one, but there is. So the Mozzarella King of Denver, Colorado taught me and my buddy Derek, uh, who was my head chef at the time, I was sous chef. We went to his, uh, his little shop, his little kitchen, and he taught us how to make mozzarella. We used a really beautiful curd. Um, and we just made it straight from the curd and kind of taught us from there. Later on, I learned how to make mozzarella from scratch, which is, which we do a lot now in, in our restaurant in, in Linguini Fini in Hanoi. We do a lot of um, homemade mozzarella making from scratch. We make our own ricotta. We make a lot of different stuff, a little bit of camembert, kind of like just play with some different cheeses. Ricotta salada, which is salted ricotta. Just you dry it out a little bit more. So I'll tell you about, a little bit about the process of making, uh, making fresh mozzarella and what we do over there and kind of what I learned. Uh, after that, that basic process. What you do is you take fresh, beautiful cow's milk. Again, you're talking about not a lot of ingredients. It's got to be quality, super high quality. The freshest cow's milk that you can. In Vietnam, we get our cow's milk from Dalat, which is a beautiful, tiny little farming village in, Dilat, in uh, central Vietnam. We take that milk and we add an enzyme from the cow's stomach called the rennet. Um, you heat the milk up, add a little, literally it ends up being a couple drops of rennet. And what happens is that milk's coming up to temperature, it starts splitting into curd and whey. 
Um, the whey is more like a liquid. It's almost like a uh, mozzarella water, right? But it's got some pretty good flavor to it. Almost like a little acidity to it. It's really got some an interesting flavor, and I use that often for like vinaigrettes and, and stuff like that. Just because, again, it's try to use the whole thing. Try not wasting it. Just you know, it, it was once a delicious edible product, and and now we take it and we're going to discard that whey. And you know, I try not to. Um, so we take the curd. And we continue to we continue to uh, heat that, and then we remove it once it solidifies to a certain extent. We take it off the heat, and we allow it to kind of cool and solidify a little bit. Not too much, just a little bit. Then we start pulling it. Pull it, make it come together. You then rewarm it up a little bit, and then form it into mozzarella balls until you put it in a brine, so it gets a nice that nice salty flavor and it has that nice texture. The important thing about it is, it's all about time and temperature, really. And the important thing about it is, the more you mess with it, the more you touch it, the more the the more of the cream comes out of it, the more of the fat comes out of it. And that's one of those misconceptions that people are like wanting to pull mozzarella and see how high they can pull it and stretch it out and whatever. And the best thing to do is not mess with it at all. Keep it really, you know, pull it a little bit until it, until it comes together and then you just uh, form it into balls and then you have a nice creamy, rich, uh, delicious, tasty mozzarella. That fat is where the, a lot of that flavor is. That was Chef Vinnie Loria, who might just be Italian. Making pizza consistently is much harder than you think. We all know that consistency is the most important ingredient in keeping the doors of a food business open. So I thought it would be cool to chat to Rahim Mohammed, the food development chef of Pizza Express, while he was in Hong Kong. I wanted to understand the secrets of doing pizzas, and thousands of them every day, perfectly. The pizzeria of our scale, I guess, consistency is one of the... Um, is one of the most important things for us um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, as uh, we have we have so many loyal loyal guests that come into our stores, and whichever one they go into, they want to have they have their favourite pizza, and they want they want that same flavour in every store that they visit. Now, how do we do that? Is is um, I would say the, the, the key is keeping it simple. Everything from uh, everything from the ingredients to the training to the uh, equipment that we use to the systems and the processes that go into our restaurant. Um, by keeping it simple, uh, we maintain consistency. We are able to uh, ex- ex- expand quickly, and also, you know, we can maintain the quality. The tricky part is, is keeping it simple, but keeping it interesting for our guests as well. So in terms of consistency, what are the specifics that we that we look at? One is working uh, working with the right partners. That could be our, that would be our suppliers. Uh, uh, having a having a great great team obviously uh, is a given. Um, so that kind of sounds a great hiring. Um, and two and thirdly is uh, is training. Um, so having strong training systems in, in place. Um, to make sure that uh, that every one, every one of our team members in the kitchen um, is very clear uh, about the ingredients that go on the dish, um, how they're distributed, 
how they are cooked and the timing that they are cooked for. That was Chef Rahim Mohammed of Pizza Express explaining how it's done on a large scale. So we've chatted a little bit about toppings and the secrets to making them taste and look the same. Let's head out to Chai Wan and chat to Gregoire Michaud about the most important part of the pizza, the dough. For me, it, it's not really about very thin or deep or thick crust and so on. Uh, it's more on the properties of the actual dough that I, I, uh, I would like to be precise. From that though, you can do it thin, thick, uh, any, uh, large side or not, or you know, you, you do it any, any, any way you want. But the, the actual property of the dough for me is very important. And I think one of the big, big things is the time you let your dough ferment and the way you ferment it. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's like bread, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a bread dough. So the ingredients are very simple. Uh, uh, so it's flour, water, uh, salt, yeast and um, then if you want to have olive oil or not and then if you want to do it with sourdough or not uh, this is the, where the, the technicity lies personally I think uh, a good pizza dough must have been uh, fermented overnight uh, maybe in the fridge or outside it needs to be a slow rise and then you have something very powerful and flavorful. I like to, to do the hybrid type where uh, half of my fermentation comes from sourdough and half of it comes from yeast, from uh, conventional yeast. And it gives you uh, the right mix and then uh, fermented over 24 hours in the fridge, cold fermentation, then you get uh, the right uh, spring in the oven because that's what you want. You want, you want to have this little bubbles on the, on, on the crust outside. So you have these charred bubbles on the, on the around. And, uh, but at the same time, you also want a good crust and a good flavor. Uh, not just a plain white, uh, you know, uh, white crumb. That's not interesting. You want something even when you eat your pizza. And um, so I think this is in terms of fermentation and then it's about the flour you use. So because the water and the salt uh, it doesn't affect too much the, the end product. But the flour you use, um, I, li I like to use Italian flour, uh, but then you can also have great results with other flour. I think it's about the, um, the typicity of the flour in terms of flavor, of the wheat flavor, and after also on its uh, ability, uh, the force it has uh, when you ferment it overnight, and the next day, you have a proper texture. It doesn't mean high gluten, and, and I'm against high gluten because it's not, you don't digest it properly. But with uh, a good, good flour, you can, um, I, would, I would even say you can, you can do it with uh, uh, more of a, you know, T80. So T80 is uh, more wholemeal. So you have a little brown speckle of the, of the bran inside the flour and it gives beautiful uh, uh, flavor of, to the crust. Pizza should move this way, the same way bread does, the same way our food, our everyday food. I think it, it's back to wholesome food rather than just blah. I mean, if you only concentrate on the tomato, the cheese, and the basil, it's great, but if your base is uh, uh, plain white, tasteless, soggy, 
piece of dough, that your pizza is failed. Having Hong Kong's best baker, Gregoire Michaud, on a knead-to-dough basis is always fun. Now, if you love bread and, like me, enjoy the baking section of bookshops or online platforms, there is every chance you'll have flipped through one of the many books by Peter Reinhardt. With a list of popular publications, mainly focused on bread, his books are a fantastic read. In addition to being inspiring, the recipes really go into the science of it all, and the photography certainly makes you want to bake your own loaves. Pretty sharpish, too. One of Peter Reinhardt's books, The Bread Baker's Apprentice, was instrumental in me heading to Paris in 2009 for a bread and pastry sabbatical, if you want. So I thought it would be a great book to pull off my bookshelf for today's review. Being one of my favorite baking books, I've cooked a good few of the breads and found the recipes easy to follow. The book covers a range of doughs from around the world. It's a nice addition because many books stick to the traditional French and Italian varieties. There are Greek breads and a good selection of the sweeter breads like Stalin. And of course... There's a great recipe for panettone. Another feature of the book is the flavoured breads like the potato cheddar and chive recipe and the roasted onion and asiago miche if you're in the mood for something other than just plain old good bread. The possibilities with bread are endless and like all other doughs and other disciplines in the baking world, it relies on adherence to technique and the following of formulas. Reinhardt is more than able to deliver clear and concise directions it's helped no doubt by being a lecturer in the baking program at the respected Johnson and Wales University. Of all of the breads, the Italian ciabatta is probably my favourite, with its very soft dough when you start and the open crumb structure when it's baked. It's a challenging bread because it does take a little bit of time to get it right. If you're new to bread baking, the first thing that will shock you is the amount of water in a ciabatta dough. It's very wet, so don't add more flour thinking you've done something wrong. Now, Reinhardt gives a few variations on how to start the dough. One with the bigger or the wetter version, the poolish, and both versions deliver great little slipper-shaped loaves. Cookbooks are supposed to be informative and guide you through possible failures explaining the pitfalls and steps needed to achieve success. This book does that very well. So if you want to be inspired and if you want to smell fresh bread baked from your own oven but are not sure where to start, get yourself a copy of Peter Reinhardt's Bread Baker's Apprentice. I hope you'll find it as good as I did. Now, you may not pack a bag and head to Paris to bake bread, but if it can get you in the kitchen baking, it's done its job. Right, let's have a little bit of alphabet soup. K is a popular letter in the baking world, starting, of course, with the silent K in the word knead, a process of folding, pulling and manipulating dough to develop gluten. For those with a sweet tooth, K is for the kringle, a Danish pastry made with loads of butter, fruits and nuts topped with icing sugar. A lot less sweet is the K for key lime, originally from Malaysia but now more commonly associated with Florida, the Caribbean and the Keys, especially in key lime pie. For the appreciative carnivore in you, K is for Kobe, the capital of the Japanese prefecture Hyogo, home to the famous ancient black-haired Japanese cattle called Wagyu. K is for kohlrabi, a popular European vegetable, also known as a cabbage turnip, and also for kosher, the religious adherence to a diet of the Jewish people. Yes, K is also for kosher salt, a coarse variety that's great for pickling. 
K is for Kugel, a densely baked pudding that can be sweet or savory, and for Kugelhopf, which I mentioned last week. Bringing the K to a killer conclusion, K is for kebab, a.k.a. the kebab, best eaten with a belly full of beer between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. after a big night out. That brings us to the end of our show, so I'll see you same time, same place next week. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye for now. And of course, join a chef with Jason Blake next week at the same time for another B is for Bacon show. You can find out uh, all of today's recipes and other details on his Facebook page, which is B is for Bacon on RTHK3. The program was produced by Phil Whelan. Do you know the Curtis Brothers? No, you don't. They're not well-known, but they've been playing fine jazz for years, and I thought you should know. I'm Charles Martin. Join me for two hours of surprising jazz, including an excellent album by the Curtis Brothers that you haven't heard, I guarantee it. That's 3 o'clock jump, Saturday at 3, here on Radio 3. Just to get my facts uh, straight, uh, Mr. Boaz won't be around. He's, he's doing something silly like having a weekend off. <laughs> but Mr. Ross will be in place. James Ross with you, of course, right after the news at nine, taking all the way to lunch at once. So stick around for that. Weather-wise, we can expect, uh, well, sunshine, hot, hot, hot day, 31 degrees, sticky degrees, isolated showers, and more of that over the next few days. In fact, some squally thunderstorms by midweek. Currently 28 degrees Celsius, a relative humidity up there at 83%.